The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by MikesArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? All right, we're live, episode 188, and I have got Graham Johnson in the office from Ambassador Track. What's going on, buddy? Oh, man, it's good. I didn't know you had to sit through and listen to your own commercials on podcasts. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, the pros might not have to, but in our setup, yeah, you have to. This looks pretty professional to me. Well, it's a lot of money sitting in this room. I don't know if this is set up in the most efficient way, but this is the most efficient way that we've had it set up. Right. Um, it's taken a lot of trial and error to get it here. We've kind of changed how we do it a little bit to make it easier for us to recreate smaller pieces of content. We used to just do like one master wide of the whole table and we sat like long ways Yeah, yeah. and it was fine, but we get lots of nuggets now. Now with some of the AI that's out there, we can pull so many nuggets of content out and, and make it easier for people to watch. But it's one of those things to where it's, it just creates more work for somebody here in the office all the time. But I mean, content's what we do. So make it's, it as easy as possible. Make it as easy as possible. So I want you to introduce yourself. Um, we talked on the phone. That's how kind of how we met. You reached out to me over email, and you I was and I shut you down <laughs> because I was very confused. And then you reached back out, persistence, which I like. You was like, "Hey, I think we should just get on the phone and talk about this." And I'm like, "Okay, let's do that." So, kind of, kind of what you did to me on the phone, and kind of give me. Not necessarily your sales pitch, but like, what is it you do? What who you are? Where you're from? And I want to get into it a little bit later. But we yeah. kind of had very similar starts in this whole whole thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about what we do just over email. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I heard one of your previous podcasts. I was like, ah, kind of want to be sitting in on that, man. Like that's right up what we discuss all the time. So, yeah, I've uh, started a system called Ambassador Track. Um, it's basically um, an ambassador tracking and management platform for companies, um, not only in the outdoor industry, but any industry, but we got our start in fishing and hunting. Um, and the, um, ambassador, you could call pro staff, field staff, influencer, ambassador, but anybody who's getting a product, um, getting free product paid discount, whatever it is in order to promote a brand. Uh, these companies for the longest time were, had a large group of people They didn't know how to manage them. You know, they're giving out discounts left and right. They didn't know what they got in return. So if they got anything in return, yeah, if they got anything, we do see a little bit of that. Um, and so basically we made an automated platform where um, all your members, we handle everything from the application of new members coming in, uh, pre-vetting those applications, um, delivering discount codes, and then tracking everything they're doing on social media. So anytime they're out there mentioning the brand, hashtagging it, whatever it may be, all that content, all that analytics, everything comes into our platform for the sponsor to be able to see. Um, and then have some management tools for the sponsor to be able to send out like text messages and say, Hey, we want you to go promote this. Um, so just trying to bring everything to one spot, uh, to cut down the amount of time the sponsor has to spend dealing with it, but also to make everything that the member is doing more visible to their sponsor. So it's also a tool too, that helps an ambassador and influencer 
go to a, a, a perspective, quote unquote, sponsor, say Redneck Tech, we wanted to go after Sony cameras to get some new FX6s. We would come to you, we'd say, hey, we want to sign up for your platform. It's a monthly fee. We sign up for that. You give us the analytics to what we're doing to promote and to do things for Sony, and we could take that, pitch it to Sony, and say, hey, these guys are moving the needle for us or they're doing good things for us. These are guys we want under our umbrella, correct? Yeah, So exactly. it kind of works both ways, you know, on the brand side and on the influencer ambassador side, correct? Yeah, we've been um, primarily on the brand side for um, since the beginning. Um, we work with about 28 to 30 different brands across hunting and fishing. Uh, but just recently we launched a premium account. Um, so we don't charge any of our members for their accounts, but members under the premium account, um, it would be paid. It's not much. Um, but basically they could track themselves for all their other sponsors, Mm -hmm. uh, real quickly generate a report and say, Hey, what did I do for this sponsor over this date range? And here's a one page PDF that even has a media value of a dollar valuation of what they did for that sponsor. So you can use it to, um, justify what you've done for one sponsor. Uh, or you can take that information and take it to a new potential sponsor and say, hey, look what I'm doing for these guys. Here's the media volume I'm generating, and then kind of negotiate your deal from there. Uh, just rather than you having to pull all the analytics off Meta, uh, do it all yourself, like we're able to just kind of do it at the click of a button. Yeah, so you guys have developed some proprietary software that can do that stuff. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Well, uh, so I wanted to kind of get into – because. We're going to talk about Ambassador Trek a little bit, but we're going to talk about more of a general social media and influencers and marketing and how that's affected this industry in good ways and in a lot of bad ways. and ever-changing. And some things that we see are, are, are creating trends or doing well, not doing well, all that good stuff. But before we do that, we got started virtually about the same time mm-hmm. in this industry. So you started in 2012, right? Uh, yeah, 20. Well, in the hunting industry, 2012. In the outdoor space, 2010. Yeah. Um, and I think we, I didn't tell you this over lunch, I think we both got started via a magazine we were reading. No, no way. Tell yeah. me, so tell me that story. So I was in college uh, working for my dad's company in the medical field. So I was in the operating room all the time. Um, just graduated college. Didn't want to stay in medical. And I'm sitting there. It was around the time the FLW tour came to Lake Lanier. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading a magazine. And an uh, article came up about Jason Manager, one of the tour pros. And it said, he's got an ad agency in Buford, Georgia, which is like 15 minutes away from my house. So I was like, I tried calling up there, couldn't get anybody on the phone. This was, I sent him a message via, uh, no, first I went up there with my resume, uh, but the uh, um, elevator was keep, keep, keep coded locked. <laughs> nice. So I couldn't get up the elevator because I was just going to go drop it on his desk, um, you know, being a little kind of, I guess you could say like ballsy college kid, you know, and uh so I finally sent him a message over Facebook, and he replied back, and then they let me in the next time, and I got in for an interview, and then got an internship there like two or three days a week, which then turned into me being an account person for them, and then kind of the rest is history after that. You put it, you paid your dues, and you didn't take no for an answer. I like that. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, gosh, man, there's some, I had a kid, I did sidebar. <laughs> um, that's very cool, because I got started through a Field and Stream Magazine article, but so um, I don't know if you'll hear this or not, maybe you will. But um, there's a kid, there's a local high school fishing team, and uh, I know the fishing coach. He's also a softball coach. A really, really good dude. And uh, I was talking to him because my daughter plays on a softball team with his daughter because they're both younger. He coaches the high school team. But we got to talking about some kids that had asked for a, a sponsorship for the high school fishing team. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll sponsor you guys. And 
some people that I've known forever from our church. And uh, he said, man, I've got this kid that he wants to be on the fishing team really bad. And he doesn't have a boat yet, doesn't have a captain, doesn't have a partner. But his mom has been dropping him off on the square, and he's been knocking on, on every business's door. He's raised way more money. He is not afraid about being told no. The kid's got initiative. Like, he wants it. And I was like, you tell that kid to come by my office. He comes by my office and he knocks on my door. I'll I'll sponsor him too. Like I hadn't planned on it. I was just going to sponsor these kids from my church. But I'm like, if that kid wants it that bad, and he really at this point still doesn't even have a way to do it, and he just needs the money to do it, like send him by. I'll sponsor him too. And lo and behold, yesterday he knocked on my door. His mom drove him up here. He knocked on my door and asked and shook my hand, looked me in the eye. I'm like, absolutely. And I told that kid, I'm like, listen, dude, if you're willing to do this right now, you're willing to be told no, because I guarantee you've had more no's and yeses. And he said, yes, sir, I have. I said, you are going to leave these people in the dust when you get out of school. Mm-hmm. I was like, because there's so few kids that are willing to put themselves out there, high school, college, or otherwise, heck, adults, I know they wouldn't do what that kid was doing, to be told no, to put themselves out there, to be vulnerable, to, you know, you know, and he, this kid's can't be older than a freshman or sophomore. I mean, this kid's still, he's still got milk on his lips, you know. So it was one of those things to where he was very uncomfortable. He had to ask his mom to bring him. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I took that kid next door to where we have all of our gear that we get sent, and I gave him everything that would fit him. <laughs> I'm like, here, dude, here's T-shirts, here's hats, here's stickers, here's everything. Oh, and here's your check for the sponsorship. I'm like, and if you need anything in between, you call me. And if I can't do it, I'll find somebody who can. Like, I'll do my best to help you. And that kid was, like, super appreciative. And I got a text this morning, like, he's wearing the hat. Because he wanted me to sponsor his jersey. He's like, no, I want to sponsor your hat. Yeah. So yeah. I sponsored his hat for the little, the little high school fishing team. Like, yeah. who cares? It's you know? something. Yeah. So it's to like. To it's big. Yeah, oh, it was huge. And yeah. he's wearing the hat today at school. Like, That's every awesome. day. And, like he, and, and his coach sent me that. He's like, he's wearing your hat today at school. I'm like, That's, dude. That right there was worth way more money than I paid that kid to be a sponsor for his fishing team. And just to see how excited he was and how committed he was, and I'm like, I want your schedule because when you podium with a fish, I want to be there to take some pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, I'll get you a schedule. Immediately got me the schedule. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah, it's, that's perfect because, you know, that kid doesn't feel entitled. No. Which a lot of kids Not even a little do. bit. Oh my gosh! You know, and my kids do, yeah, and that's so, my fault. I know, but then you know, one of the hardest things to do is ask for charity. Mm-hmm. That's basically what you have to do in the sponsorship world. Yeah. You know, you're going to ask for something that they're not always getting something tangible in return, and for him to start learning that at that young age, um, you know, that's that's going to take him a long way. Uh, oh yeah, you know, I, I told him I was like, if you if you continue with this mindset, you continue with this work ethic. You can write your own check when you get out of here. Because mm-hmm. there, there's 1% of them kids that are willing to do that. That kid is going to be the boss of every other kid that probably had a great middle-class upbringing that their parents provided everything for them and gave them everything. And that kid is going to run this place. Well, I mean, we see it in the fishing, in the fishing space. Um, God, we could do a whole other podcast on this. We don't yeah. have to do it. Um, but, you know, uh, a lot of these kids, when they're getting out of high school and they're wanting to – or they're getting out of college even. College is probably worse. And they just expect that I'm going to go fish the tour and I'm going to have sponsors. And they say, well, I can catch this many fish. It doesn't matter how many fish you catch. Yeah. They don't understand the business side of it that, like, 
if you want to be a high-level sponsored angler, it is a business. It's not about how many fish you catch. It's how you can promote product. It's how you can uh, build your brand. I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation so many times with, and this is kind of going to lead into segue into what we needed to be talking about anyway, but with a client or two of mine in the past, and they say, well, you know, I've done this and I've done that for such and such. Beyond that, it's whose back you're scratching to. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you want this such and such sponsor to renew for next year, you better take them hunting or fishing. You That next trip you go on, you better have them in the boat or you better have them in the tree stand or you better do something. Or at minimum, just keep in touch. Yeah, oh, minimum, keep minimum keep in touch. But like it's, it's almost legalized extortion now. It's like, hey – you know, you sponsor me. I got this elk hunt. I got an extra tag, <laughs> and I can just slide it across Wait, how the do table. I, how do I get to know those people? Because I don't. Yeah, no <laughs> crap, dude. Don't tell tell me nothing. I don't know. But it's it's one of those deals to where, you know, we've 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 created this monster with social media. While we were talking at lunch, how easy it used to be when it was just TV and magazines. Oh yeah. You, you so you worked in ad, ad agency. So tell me how easy it was back in the day cuz then I'm going to tell you how easy it was in the video production side. Oh yeah, no, I mean back in the day it was, you know, we had to build out a media plan for the client and it was okay, cool, get in touch with the network. Whatever networks would be, you know, that was back when Sportsman Channel and Outdoor Channel were split and everything else and you had Pursuit too. The good old days. Yeah. This was prior to Carbon TV and 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 Waypoint TV and all that stuff and so you'd call your rep there and hey, I need this many spots, you know, you'd negotiate with him on where they were going to be. Um and then you'd call your guy from the what print conglomerate whatever it was and say, "Hey, you know, I'm wanting to run this many ads and what are we looking at for pricing?" and that was done. Yeah. And then now you've got social you've got uh, the web was starting to get integrated Mm -hmm. a lot more when i was doing it but even then nobody could they weren't wrapping their heads around it fully no but now it's i mean it's from your sponsorship to your social to the web to television print which are kind of going away which were yeah yeah we'll get into that i'm sure yeah but what yeah when i was doing it um you know and which when our main business especially at sub seven when our only business pretty much was television it was a lot of days in the field and it was a lot of work but we really only had one job and that's to create episodes for mm-hmm. series and the sponsors got integrated into the show either in an intro package and a billboards package in a group billboards or in product integration in the show. And that was it. Yeah. Really the only other, I guess, kickers that they would get would be if they needed them to appear at a trade show, if they needed them at an event, um, if they wanted them to be in the catalog or a uh, like a new product launch, like you know, hey, if you wanted Lee and Tiffany to be the in the new players commercial, like those things were negotiable, I yeah. guess, a little bit. But still, like now, it's we need X amount of posts, we need this many reels, we need this many pictures for our website, for our catalog. We need, I mean, I I, I could I, I need to go find it. I've got a deliverables list from one of the old TV shows that we did, and it's it's enough work for. 10 people and we were a group of three at the time, you know, and, and you couldn't keep up. And then, you know, you have sponsor turnover because you couldn't meet the deliverables. Well, they were sold by a sales guy that doesn't have any idea. He doesn't have, to do the work. He doesn't have any idea what it takes to do the work. No. And everything was predicated on killing 10 whitetails. Do you know how hard it is to kill 10 whitetails legitimately? I don't think you can legitimately without, Having a 
an exorbitant amount of money and, and time all the time, like <laughs> yeah, not just all the time. not just a little time, all the time. Hope you're not married with kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if you have wife and kids to go see, like you, you might as well not. Like yeah. these white tail only shows, don't know how they do it. I don't know how they haven't had back surgery this many times. They're sitting in a tree stand as long as they have. Yeah, it's 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 very very. The 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 whole thing is. It, it's and it's not. Even in, in social media, might even make it worse because to do twelve, to do thirteen to fifteen episodes, you got to kill thirteen to fifteen animals at mm-hmm. a minimum. Yep, and that isn't sustainable or relatable to your clients. Well, now you've got social media, and guess which images and videos get the most likes and comments and and engagement is ones probably with something dead in them. Yeah, or dying. Or dying. Yeah. So. <laughs> That makes you need to shoot that much more stuff, and that costs money and time and effort and, and production and everything else. So it, it's just this vicious circle. It's like, okay, and then we sit here and we say, okay, then what's next? What's the next thing that we're going to have to do? Because it went from, all right, just do a TV show. All right, now you got to do a TV show, and we're going to try to do some commercials. All right, now you got to do a TV show and some commercials, and now we need 15 images a trip. Now you got a TV show, commercials, 15 images, Graphics package. Now you got to have TV show, commercials, 15 images, graphics package, and I need five posts a week. Now you need all those things, five posts a week and five reels a week. Mm-hmm. Now we need five reels a week that can be rehashed into TikToks. Now we need all of that and a podcast, and now you need to have 20 pieces of unique content that come from the podcast. But it's they're not the paying anymore. Yeah. Nobody's paying anymore. Well, you know, a lot of the companies, too, are are – they're changing the way that they look at it because, you know, you talk about your, like, billboards or your bumpers or your logo at the front and the end, you know, um, and we need a product spotlight in the middle of the show, you know, whatever it may be. And, like, they're going, like, we don't really care as much about that because, you know, how much how much value are the logos at the front end of the show bringing? You know, are people seeing it? No, they're not. It's yeah. the same thing with the, in your fishing world. For those you, of you for those of you wandering. <laughs> big old zero. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Well, and then the same thing, guys. Well, I'm going to put your, your – your kid, that your high school kid, that's great that he's got you wearing your hat. Mm-hmm. You know, it may do something for you in the local market. Probably not. No. Um, I'm not even. You know, I'm not even the least bit worried about that. I'm doing yeah. it because I wanted to help that kid. Exactly. But the thing I want people, think, well, but more than anything, I want people when they see that kid's character on stage, that my hat's associated with that kid. Yeah. That I could care less if that kid wins a single tournament. Mm-hmm. I want him to care less. But I want at, him to be associated with me. Yeah. But like logo placement doesn't really mean a whole lot. No. You know, unless you're the title sponsor of a guy where, you know, he's, but it was, it doesn't really happen as much in the hunting space. Maybe if you're like a Levi Morgan or something like that, mm-hmm. like that's, that's something big, but yeah, logo play. And these companies are starting to realize it too. And they're like, Hey, you know, no, I'd rather give me some reels. Um, we're, we're pushing all of our clients to say, give them solid direction on what you want. There's been for too long, people have been sponsored or whether it be paid or discount, and they're not giving any direction from the client on what they're looking for. You know, tell them, I want five reels. I want one to be an unboxing. I want one to be a product review. I want one to be just you using the product like if it's a broadhead. Like, okay, fine, I want to see a deer getting shot with it. You know, um, like be specific about what you're looking for. It makes your job easier. But Well, it, in theory you know, it does, but these, theory, these companies, man, they, they can't get specific. Mm, they, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they, 
we've asked that thing, those things too. And I've, and I've told, and we've said this on the podcast, most of these companies don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. They know they want cool stuff. They want a 007 movie on a YouTube budget most of the time, <laughs> but they don't know what they want. For me to say, to go to you and say, you're, you're wearing a Costa hat. So we're going to say you're Costa. Hey, Costa, we're your agency or we're your media team. And you say you want content. Okay. That's a very, very broad term. What is it that you want for them to come to me? And this, this gives me wet dreams to think about it for them to come to me and say, we need 10 reels. We need two of them to be unboxings. We need five of them to be lifestyle out fishing. We want five of them to be hunting or whatever. And then we need a, a brand anthem, and then we need this. And these are the kind of looks and feels we have, and that's what we want. Oh, my God. Do you know how much easier my job would be? Oh, yeah. Versus most of the time what they say is, hey, we want all this, and they push it across the table, you know, 37 reels, 50 images, um, you know, a web series that's six episodes long. It's like, cool. What do you want it to look like? I don't know. You know, why? You know they, they, don't, they don't have – they know what they like, but you know, or they don't have a brand identity as to what they what their look is or what their feel is or who their face is or what their voice is. And a lot of times we have to tell them what they want. Yeah. We have to say, Hey, here's what I think, Costa, which they don't yeah, have to yeah, tell yeah, Costa yeah. anything. <laughs> but you know, whatever, you know, X brand is like, hey, you know, you don't really have a, a look or a feel. So we need to make one, mm-hmm. you know. Black Rifle, everybody knows what Black Rifle looks and feels like. Yeah. Everybody knows what Costa looks and feels like. Everybody knows what Yeti looks and feels like. Mm-hmm. But it's like you said before, you know, when we were at lunch, those are marketing companies that just happen to sell a product. Yeah. That's what we've said about Matthews forever. And there's, a, yeah. you know, there's several of them in our space. But how do we, I, I guess the question I have is, how do we convey that message to these brands to say, hey, if you would get a little more specific, if you would drill down and get what you want and figure out, maybe this is the better question. What do you think right now is moving the needle for people, which I know you, I know you told me that people want reels, but what do you think is driving sales and moving the needle right now? What do you think, you know, from your experience? So it's interesting. You know, so you brought up driving sales. It's, I don't necessarily look at people promoting on social media as being able to direct Apple to Apple's correlate to sales. Um, we're talking about branding. We're getting the product out there. The way people consume on social media is they see a product, something that they find interesting. First thing they're going to do is they're going to go to Google. They're going to Google search it, and they're going to go to YouTube. They may watch some reviews on it, and they're going to go find the best price they can online. That's just how it works. So being able to go through all those little ch- those little avenues they just went through, you're not going to be able to equate it directly to sales. So that's why, you know, we don't look at follower counts on social media. We want to know the number of eyeballs that are on it. It's impressions, it's reels, views, you know, engagements, things like that. Those are like kind of the key metrics. But, you know, what I would tell companies is when I say, you know, give direction on what you're looking for, um, a lot of them take that as, well, I want you to do a video on this new trail camera and I want it to have this person in it. And they, they almost would, would say, they would almost give the content to you and just say, repost our content. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. They're working with you because you have your own look. You have your own style, uh, your own voice. So if I'm a brand, I'm going to go to someone I'm sponsoring or, you know, content creator in whatever influencer it may be. And I'm going to say, hey, here's the new product we're launching. Um, These are the key features. Um, Tell people why you like it in your own story. 
Yeah. Using a real world situation, put it in your voice. It doesn't need to sound because the authenticity I think is probably what's driving more of the branding, more of the sales than anything else. Um, these people are able to look at it and say, well, yeah, that guy hunts the same way I could go hunt, you know, and this is the product being real, uh, used in a real world situation, very similar to the way it is at me. You know, I don't have a 500 acre farm in Iowa that I'm able to spend a half million dollars a year on keeping my deer up. You know, it's only a half a million. Well, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's not authentic now, but a guy that's like, Hey, yeah, you know, I got this 10 acres over here right near the house. I can go over there and hunt during the week. You know, I just set up this new trail camera. The live feature is great because, you know, I can be sitting at home and just, you know, tap it when I see a deer, keep an eye on them. That's more authentic, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not pushing the brand so hard that it's like, you got to have this camera because it's the best camera ever. And oh. You will never lose a deer again with this broadhead, you know. But he's not talking about the shop placement. No, I mean, yeah. You know, so, oh, um, I had that conversation with a guy at the pro shop last night. Let's not get into broadheads. Oh, Good geez. God, you don't want to get that's ten podcasts, <sighs> in dude. He well, it really came down to he's like, man, I shot this doe with a rage, man. Screw them rages, and I'm like, she okay, hurt her shoulder and it didn't. Penetrate. I said, I said, was she? I was like, was she quartering? He said, well, she was quartering to me, and it just skipped off her ribs. I'm like. Well, if she was quartering to you, you know, and, I, and essentially the argument, because he, he, he wanted, which I do not want to get into this argument at all. Yeah. But I'm like, you can say your piece. We, <laughs> we don't create broadheads for the perfect shot. We create them for marginal shots because most people make marginal shots. Mm-hmm. I was like, you go and ask a guy that has a dog trail uh, or a, a deer trailing dog, which deer he finds more of, a fixed blade or an expandable. It's expandables all day, all day. If if you want to shoot a fixed play, go for it. Make a good shot. You should make a good shot regardless. Yeah. But uh, which leads into your story. You told me you missed a big deer the other day and hit your feeder. You got to tell me that bring story. Bring it up. Yeah, on oh, the podcast. Yeah. Sorry. So on the podcast. I didn't even tell you the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I hunt suburban stuff here around Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I switched to a gravity feeder because I got tired of the motors blowing out and everything else. So um, I'm hunting right next to a greenway. I'm legal. I'm legally on my property. Yeah. I have permission to be there. Uh, but basically, I can't afford for deer to run that far. Yeah. So they got to be at like 20 yards, and you are center punching them. Yeah. You know, um, so this deer comes in, has not been seen in daylight all season. I've had him on camera about once every three weeks for the last two months, yeah. three months. He shows up like 4 a.m. My wife's like, hey, look, you've had a tough week. Just go hunting for this evening. Like, well, I hey. like your wife. She's sweet. Listen, that happens like twice a year. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. So I got to play up how hard my week was, you know, if I've really got a big one on camera. So so I go sit, nothing, sweat my butt off in a ground blind all night yeah, long. It was Georgia. What else do you think? Georgia. I'm sitting I'm like, this is stupid. I should have just stayed home. You know, 8.03 is the end of legal shooting hours. You've hunted out of a ground blind at – if it's 8.03 in legal shooting hours, at like 7.50, you're going, can I even shoot one yeah, right it's now? It's dark so as dark. Egypt. 8 o'clock, I'm going to pack up. I'm like, I'm done with this. Take one more peek out around the corner of the feeder. There he stands. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I get drawn back. He's quartered away. And then he turns back, and he's standing right behind the feeder. And it's getting pretty dark, but I'm like, I can squeeze a shot here. I was about to say, you're going to try and squeeze it I'm going to squeeze one. <laughs> and it was one of those, if I hit an inch high, he was smoked in the heart, he's going to make it 20 yards. I did not hit an inch high. I hit an inch low, which happened to be the top edge of my gravity feeder. So I shot, and bang. Mm. All I see is Luminox sitting there, and he's gone. I get out of the blind. I'm just like huffing and puffing. Like, this is dumb. Get out of the blind. I look. He's, him and his buddies are standing there like it's his silhouettes in the field 100 yards away just looking at me. 
He ain't been back since. <laughs> Dude. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I was in Oklahoma. I don't know if I've ever told this story. Um, it's on video. It's uh, I was in Oklahoma hunting hunting deer. I don't know, 140. It would have been my biggest deer to date. And uh, he's he's acting kind of nervous. There's a bunch of does. They kind of winded us, and he's in there right next to the feeder, kind of the same thing. And I'm drawn back, and I shoot a thumb button release, I always have, and I kind of shoot it like a back tension. I wrap my thumb, and I just start to pull through my shot as I'm aiming. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, he's standing there. He's really nervous. I can tell he's nervous, so I'm trying to make the shot happen. And as I pull through my shot, about the time I pull through my shot, he turns and looks, and I hit him right in the face. Oh, my gosh. Right in the face. And uh, Did he go down? No. Oh. It, it just kind of really cut the side of his face really bad. Showed up on the camera four or five days after I left. Eating corn again. Nobody else ended up killing no, him? No, nobody. You know somebody named that deer Scarface. Oh, well, it, so. we, you know the video. Um, my old editor, buddy of mine, Nate Thomas, who's so sweet to me. You remember, um, what's the movie? The Where they say, in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, made yeah. a whole... <laughs> yeah, whole spoof video about me <laughs> shooting that deer like that. I'm sure somebody will probably post it in the comments. So, yeah, yeah it's nice yeah. and embarrassing. Uh, my buddy Will uh, Allison was filming that one back in the day. Oh, but see, that's things you got it on camera. I'll send you oh, the pictures yeah. of my. I've got arrow some really embarrassing things on camera that I hope yeah. never find the light of day. But yeah, I'll send you the pictures of my arrow in the feeder. You can feel yeah. free to post it to the viewers. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and take the hit on uh, that. One. Well, so let's talk now about getting back to what we we're talking about. Yeah. So this is something that kind of gripes me. The, that that a trend that I see, not not even really a trend, it's just kind of the way of the world right now is subject matter experts have lost their value in a lot of aspects. So I understand that there's a lot of these guys that I guess you could say or quote, quote unquote subject matter experts that are 100 years old that to me that don't have the, I wouldn't say value, but the influence that they once had. I get that. But 20 years ago, if you weren't somebody that had been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and knew what you're talking about, you couldn't be on television. Influencer game, that's not the case. If you've shot a deer, you got lucky, or you have a nice rack yourself, (laughs) um, you can really do a good job in the hunting and fishing world in your eyes. So um, I don't... There's no really easy way to tiptoe around this, but like where where is where has subject matter experts value went? Why has it went away from guys and, and girls? I mean, there's some girls too. There's still a couple girls out there. I mean, Tiffany's one of them. Um, you know, Melissa Bachman's another one that still get it done. Where has that went? Why why have we lost? Why have subject matter experts lost their value? And do you think that'll ever come back? Um. Well, when you say subject matter experts, is it is it considered a subject matter expert because they are famous in our space? E, to, to me, like I'm thinking of like a, which he still has value, but I'm thinking of somebody like John Dudley who has been in the industry for, you know, 20 plus years, who's killed everything under the sun, who knows his archery backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys like him, why don't we have an industry full of guys like him versus some of these other people that are pushing products that have not really done anything that a sponsor hasn't taken them on a paid hunt already. Yeah. I think it's hard to, um, those people are hard to weed out because you've got to also look at it as 
if I've been bow hunting for 15, 20 years and I work behind the bow counter at a shop and I've shot, you know, all the new bows and everything else, I'm not a celebrity, but technically I'm a subject matter expert. Yeah. You know, um, there's guys that they focus only on trail cameras. They're not, they don't have a television show. All they do is test and review trail cameras. They're technically a subject matter expert. You know, so I think it's the definition of what is a subject matter expert well, see, that comes down to it. May, yeah, I mean, I can see that. But, like, to me, like, I look at myself. Like, what can I say I'm a subject matter expert on? It would be outdoor content creation. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I could say that. Um, played baseball my whole life. Played in college. I would say baseball is one. And my family and my kids. Outside that, I need help. Yeah. Um. And those are things that I've done, you know, played baseball until I was 22. And I've done this for now 11 years full time. So I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of I hours. Yeah. So how can, how can you find or how can we weed out the, the TNA and the guy that got lucky and shot a deer, or, you know, has plenty of money to go on outfitted hunts and shoot stuff, or the guy that shoots big deer in a Texas high fence? How can we create, how can we make sure value is being placed on people that have put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours? Because I look at it this way. If I'm going to go buy something, I'm, I'm very, I know a lot of people, I'm not going to go buy something unless I see someone I trust, like a John Dudley, uh, like a Chuck, mm-hmm. like somebody like that, unless I've seen them use it and be successful with it, and then I reach out to them personally, which I have the luck of being able to do that, and say, I want to buy a thermal. Which thermal should I buy, Chuck? Which I've asked him that question about 15 times because I'm wanting to tell me one that's not (laughs) $10,000. But he's like, he goes, you know, this is is the reason you want this one, and this is why. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Dudley, like, hey, you know, I want a new sight or a new release or a new bow or whatever. And, and, And he's got the content to to cover my questions, the reasoning for it. And, you know, and I look at him also, which is, this is also rare. He's been with three bow companies over almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. He's not been with everyone under the sun. Like I could name a couple of companies that they change brands. Like they change their underwear. Yeah. And this is the best one I've ever shot. No, this is the best one I've ever shot. No, this is the best one. I've, and it's just like, how can people like people see right through that crap? Well, I think they do. So, a couple things. The reason, part of the reason the value's gone down is social media. Oh, well, you know, like yeah. it, love it, hate it, whatever. It's made the average Joe, it's given him the ability to, you know, it's essentially flooded the market, you know, of subject matter experts. So that when that happens, it's going to obviously degrade on some of the value, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the guys who were that um, and are still that. Um, you know, two is sponsorship has hurt it. Because even though you know Chuck and you know Dudley and you know that they only use that product because they love that product and they are an expert on that product and they that's why they work with that brand, so many of the people, the average consumers, look at that and they say, he's getting paid by them. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, they're going to go listen to their buddy and they're going to talk to their buddy who they know has been bow hunting longer than them. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, hey, what do you shoot? What are your thoughts on this? You know, so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's partly social media and making it more available to people, but it's also partly the sponsorship side and the amount of money, and they know that these guys are, you know, not all, and that's the hardest thing to convey to a consumer and your average hunter is that they're not all bought. 
like a lot of these guys literally they they could go make more money with another company, you know, sponsorship wise, but they're sticking with this one because they believe in the product. Yeah. But they're all going to stand up there on TV and say, "I'm with this company because I believe in this product, whether yeah. they're bought or not." Yeah. You know, so it's kind of people I think have gotten a little bit more in tune with that, you know, to where they're they're saying, "Oh, well, you know, most of these guys are just bought." And they're kind of looking for more of the subject matter experts that maybe relate to them more on a he hunts like I do. He's kind of a no-name guy, but I see a lot of his content. It mm-hmm. looks legit, you know, so that's going to flood the market. That's going to it's value. Re- it's it, the content the content's relatable. Like, yeah, that's exactly. one of the things, like, my brother my brother is a big YouTube hunting show guy. Mm-hmm. Watches hunting public like crazy. Watches Born and Raised. And I'm not somebody who consumes that yeah. um, because I like high-production value, storytelling um, you know, guy behind the camera that, you know, is a producer, not a cameraman. And that's just because of the industry that I've been in forever. Yeah. I, I see value in what they're doing, but I asked my brother, I'm like, what is it about hunting public that you enjoy so much? He goes, and he's hit the nail on the head. He goes, cause I feel like I could do what they're doing. Oh yeah. Hunting public seek one. Yeah. I mean, I, I told you before the podcast, you know, like seek one. I know those guys that mm-hmm. do great. Um, they've made it really hard to get permission to bow hunt. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to equate it directly to Lee and Drew. Yeah. I like the, and and Kendall. I love those guys, but you know, um, and the reason they're popular, the reason they're successful, because it's like I mentioned about. I don't have a 500 acre farm yeah. in Iowa. I'm dropping this amount of money on. You know, I've got a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. I need to go knock on a door, and I could have a giant deer on camera. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's relatable. Like I could very well have that same opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's just like Lee and Tiff. They've made it really hard to buy a farm in Iowa now. Yeah. Because it's a heck of a lot more expensive to buy one there now than it was before they got there. Exactly. You know, and that's that that could be a good thing if you're a farmer wanting to sell. And that could also be a bad thing if you're a guy like me and you that wants to go up there and lease or farm or buy a farm or mm-hmm. three buddies going to buy a farm. Well, now you used to buy 300 acres. Now you can buy about 30. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. a big dang difference. Well, and this is a little off subject, but if you, and I'm, I may be just late to the game on this. A buddy of mine turned me onto it the other day, uh, and I'm not affiliated with this company. I don't know them anything about them what's the new is it the hunting trust or something like land that? trust land yeah. trust yeah that looked kind of cool it's like where you yeah. can just kind of say like he's he's trying it out this year for the first time mm-hmm. out to wyoming i think or something like that and he's like yeah we've got this spot for nine days just me and my buddy we're the only people that can be on it and yeah. it's cheaper than going with an outfitter oh it's it's like, significantly cheaper going with an outfitter dudley actually does some stuff with land trust yeah. and there's actually a guy here in georgia that's been trying to do a very similar thing it's kind of the airbnb for yeah, urban hunting spots. It's like been, I know how to hunt. Yeah, like just I just yeah. have to have the space. Yeah, he's been trying to do that for a long time, and it's and it's because I've been looking for a place to lease in Oklahoma, Kentucky, or Missouri mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, cannot, cannot for the life of me find anywhere. I want something on the eastern half of Oklahoma, virtually anywhere in Missouri, and then anywhere in western Kentucky or in northern Kentucky. Like I'm I'm good with any of those places. Cannot find something, and if you do. It's astronomically it's not expensive. Thing we can afford. <laughs> no, it's and and it's and, and and it kills me, which everything has. And it's not to say like why would hunting be any different, but everything's turned into a money game. Oh yeah. You know, you know, I have so many guys that want to go and do an elk hunt, but I mean, I don't have ten, fifteen thousand dollars to spend an elk hunt, much less. Essentially, what you would need to do if you did an over the counter is you need to go out there and spend weeks scouting. Like they just don't have weeks to spend they have a mm-hmm. nine to five job with two weeks vacation like two weeks is the max they're going to get if and their wife will let them if their wife <laughs> will let them and they probably are you know a lineman or something they make 
fifty to seventy five thousand dollars a year. That's just not in the cards to mm-hmm. spend fifteen grand on a New Mexico elk tag. And it's like, I get it, dude. You know, and but they watch the Primos guys go in Colorado and kill giants. And they're like, Oh man, I want to do that. And it's like, well, they're hunting the hill ranch. Oh, I want to go and kill, you know, this bull that Rogan killed. Well, he killed that in Utah on a private ranch as an eighteen thousand dollar elk hunt. Yeah. You know, that's not you know, that's feasible for Joe Rogan. That's not feasible for you and me or ninety nine percent of the country yep. that wants to go hunt. Nothing against those guys. If if somebody gave me that elk tag, I'd be there with bells on. If I had on. the money to do it, I'd yeah. do it. If somebody gave me that tag or I could have the money to do it, I'd be there with bells on. But I don't. And it's not reality for everybody else. But that's why these companies go to places like that to create content. They pay the money mm-hmm. to go there to create their content and they put it out there. And but the problem is they sell it as you and I can do that. We can't. Yeah. And the only way I'm going to be able to be successful out west is I got to move there. Because you have to be able to have boots on the ground and be able to hunt on every weekend and take your two weeks when the hunting gets good. Other than that, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Not out west. That's why people hire guides and outfitters because that's the only way you can be successful. Whereas if they wanted to come to Georgia and be successful, all they got to do is buy a tag, find a place to hunt, put out some corn and wait. You know, it, yeah. it, we're not comparing apples to apples here. No. Well, and I do like some of the con- – like I've seen some stuff on YouTube guys are putting out about those do- DIY elk hunts, and that, that's something that I'm I'm looking at as the consumer because before I did this for a living, I, I still am the consumer. I still mm-hmm. go buy stuff at Academy and Bass mm-hmm. Pro, whoever's got the best prices. Um, But, you know, I like that content where this guy self-films, him and his buddy, out west on a week-long elk hunt. Mm-hmm. And, it, and he's like, hey, here's how I prepped for it. I've got X time off of work. Here's the gear that I'm taking with me, uh, you know, and then they may not be successful, but at least I can see that, that it's like, oh, that's something I could afford to go do. Yeah. You know. And if you've not done that, you should. I want to. You absolutely have to. I'm going to have to start noth- running a little bit more. There's if I'm do nothing that. like, oh, you're going to be out of breath regardless of oh, how yeah, much you run. Sure. <laughs> there's nothing like hearing an elk bugle in the woods. Yeah. And you have a bow in your hand. Nothing like oh, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I'd the greatest I'd thing in the world. probably have a nervous breakdown. If there was a feeder, I would shoot it. i did uh so i started filming in 2012 and i did 11 elk hunts before i ever laid hands on an elk and it was one that i shot in colorado Mm. that's filming trips and hunting trips all combined i did 11 and those some of those were on big private ranches some of them were You know, before I ever watched an elk get shot, it was the one I shot in Colorado over the counter, and I got really freaking lucky. Um, but there's nothing, nothing that compares. Do you find more satisfaction in going with an outfitter and being successful compared to going on a DIY hunt and hearing bull's bugle and not firing a shot? Um, or is that fair to compare? You know, it's fair to compare. I think it's, to me, any way you can hear an elk bugle, you should do it. Even if it's going to Estes Park in Colorado, just to listen to a bugle, even if you ain't got a bow in your hand. Because there's, there's nothing, no amount of videos that you can watch that compares to hearing it in real life. And then when you are the guy with a call in your hand and makes one bugle and they come to you, that's the top of the mountain. So I've killed two bulls. I killed one over the counter in Colorado. That little raghorn that's in my wife's office. I don't know. No, it's actually at my, at my house now. And then that bull that's in the, that my wife's office was in New Mexico with an outfitter. Mm-hmm. Both of which 
were incredible. Um, I had to work harder for the one in New Mexico than I did the one in Colorado because I got really lucky on the one in Colorado. But the one in Colorado was cool, was the coolest because I was there with my dad and my brother. And um, after I killed that bull the second day, second or third day, I got to guide my brother and my dad and almost had called one in for my dad in the state of Colorado. They have to have four on one side or a five inch brow tine. And this was a little three point, but he had like a crazy squiggly eight inch brow tine. (laughs) Never was going to fall within the. So he was legal. Yeah. And he, I called him right by my dad at like 20 yards. And I just like, I'm laying on the ground, like watching this happen. And I see him coming and I'm like, I don't want him to see me. So I like lay down. I'm not screwing this up for my dad. I never hear a shot. never hear a shot. Then I hear like walking and like I'm laying on my side on the ground and I see these freaking elk's hooves me to that wall. And I'm like, and I'm like, take my hand that has my glove on it. And I'm like, put it over my face so this elk won't see me. And it just, it finally gets back past us far enough to wind us and then runs off. And I stood up. I'm like, Dad, what the heck? What the heck? He goes, Well, he only had three on one side. And I said, Did you not read the regs, Dad? Three on one side or a five inch brow tine? <laughs> he goes, Oh, well, he had that. And I'm like, I know. I was waiting for you to shoot. He's like, I was trying to make him grow that fourth point, and he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but is that is that experience? Oh though, man, you know? oh, I, mean, I wouldn't give him. I wouldn't give a million dollars for that. Well, even this year, I had. I was telling you lunch. You know, I've got a three year old turned mm-hmm. four this month. Mm-hmm. He's hunted with me last year. Hunted with me this year. He's been he's sat in the ground line eight times. Mm-hmm. So at three years old, he's got sixteen hours of sits. Yeah, and we've not shot a deer. Yeah. Well, I finally got this barn spot. I had just missed my deer. I shot the feeder, and this doe comes out. And he had to sit there dead quiet for four minutes watching this doe, which at three years old is very hard. That's a tall order. And then I shot, perfect shot. I didn't think it was, but it was perfect shot. She ran 20, yard, 20 yards and dead. Um, that kid about had a breakdown. Oh, I So bet. excited. And then I'm shaking like a leaf. Like, I could not kill a big deer for the rest of the year. Not even see one. And yeah. I'd be completely content because of that experience. Yeah. You know, so I didn't feel like we got way off track there. But. No, no, we're good. No, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm trying to go back. We've got several people watching that are oh, commenting cool. and asking questions. So I'm trying to go through and, and read some of the comments. Just oh, like good? see if they've got any like specific questions. Because one of them was talking about turnover in marketing and like why uh-huh. marketing companies <laughs> turn over so much. And um, um, my buddy, uh, Matt Postel, I never say his last name right. He's 42 pros. He's always, he's very, very consistent listening. He said companies have mistaken followers as a relevant, relevant industry content creators, mm. and which is true. 100%. Um, and then, you know, this uh, whitetail pandemic said, I wish companies would look at the quality of work that they're about to put their names on. Some of these people's videos and reels and other content just suck, which is 100% true. But I replied to that. They want it cheap. They don't care about the quality. That's one of the things that, I mean, some companies do, but some of the ones that we've came up with, and especially if you watch YouTube, man, it's one of those deals to where these companies – um, they want it now. They would. They want quantity over quality, and that really drives me nuts. We talked about it a little bit, which I think we kind of got off track. But you told me in terms of the, the the numbers and analytics you're getting, what companies want right now are reels. Yeah. So the the reason is is well to his point about quality. It depends on the life cycle of the company. If what do you I'm mean a, by yeah? What do you mean if by I'm that? a brand new company coming to market, right? I just need eyeballs. Mm-hmm. 
I don't care where I get them from. Okay. So we're just get it out there, get it out there to as many people as you can, as many people as you can, you know, and so on. So, but as it becomes a more established product, then I'm taking a look at my team and I'm saying, okay, well, who's putting out the quality stuff? Who's not? And then I'm starting to take a little bit more control over here's the type of content we're looking for. Here's the type of stuff we want you to do. This guy, I'm not going to sign him back up because, you know, the quality of stuff's kind of whatever. So, you know, we've worked with companies that have a huge team of influencers or pro staff or field staff, whatever you want to call them. And they're like, hey, it's out of control. We've got some good quality, some not. So we work with them to bring them back, right? And then we've got some companies that brand new product, not many people know about it. We just got to find them a bunch of people who are going to go out there and put it out there. You know, and then as their life cycle progresses, they get the word out there. Then as it gets becomes more established, then they're starting to say, okay, well, now let's look at what we got. Let's bring this back to these are the people who are doing really well. Those are the ones we want to stick with. Those are the ones we want to better utilize moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do see a lot of that. Um, Reels and followers, to your other guy's point. Um, We never look at follower counts for analytics. It's a completely irrelevant number. They could be bought. They could be how many how many times you get followed Preach. by some girl on Instagram that you're like, nope, and I just you know block it immediately. Yeah. So yeah, followers is irrelevant. Um, another reason, another way you can tell that, and I'll guarantee you, most of your listeners can go on their personal Instagram if they're posting reels. Ninety nine percent of them will have multiple reels that have more views than they have followers. Now, could some of those be? Um, you know, somebody viewing it twice. Well, we'd look, we'll have to look at reach and impressions there to be able to kind of tell whether or not that was a... Uh, so So reach is the individual number of people who have seen it. Uh, impressions is the number of times it's been seen. So mm-hmm. if Caleb watches my video three times... What counts times, as an impression, though? Not a that's all I'm about to say. Okay, so if Caleb watches my video three times, that's three impressions, that's one reached. Okay. Okay. So, How long do I have to watch it to count as an impression? Uh, I mean, that can vary. Because that's my thing is like it's on a TikTok video or an Instagram reel, I'll go through and I, the first thing I see is Billy Bob on the backseat yeah. of his truck. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Does yeah. that get counted as a view? I think it counted as a view. Really? Yeah. So what we've seen um, from Meta, we'll just call it collectively Meta, Instagram, Facebook, is that they're trying to pump out the biggest numbers they can. Oh, of course they Because are. that's going to help them make more money and everything else. So, uh, so it's kind of hard to dial into, you know, to that at the specific point. But what I'm saying is that a lot of your videos, your, your reels will have more views than you have followers. Yeah. So if that's gauged based on reach, that means that, you know, think about it with reels and the reason they're so important is how many times have you been down a real rabbit hole where you start watching an elk hunting reel. Next thing you know, you're on a bow fishing. Next thing you're at NASCAR. And then by the end of the time, you know it, like you're down to somebody knitting sweaters for a cat's. Yeah, or you know, somebody shaking their butt. Exactly. It's YouTube's the same way. So those reels are, with their algorithms, like somebody who's not your follower is more than likely going to see your reel. So not only are your followers seeing it, but we're also expanding out past your followers. That's why there's so much value there. Yeah. So And that's what companies are asking for. Companies are asking specifically for reels more than anything. I have one client specifically told their people, thank you for posting about us in stories. That's great. You can continue to do it. We don't really care. We want to see more reels. Mm-hmm. Um, timeline posts, all that are fine still, but they want to see more reels because they know it's getting to an audience outside of the audience they normally have. And pictures, what what do pictures have value anymore? Pictures do have value just depending on how you're using them. If it's yeah. a guy gripping grim with a big bass and he's tagging all of his sponsors, it's not doing a whole lot for a sponsor. 
Yeah. Right. Um, so if it's not specific to the product, uh, we tell them it needs to follow one of three criteria. Either it's specifically about the product. It is got the product logo predominant, not just in the background, you know, not just random or the product needs to be 110% directly related to the activity. You know, that's the, one of those three criteria on an image. Uh, and I would say the same goes for a reel too. Yeah. So, so it's essentially a reel that's kind of a hype reel that's just a bunch of a conglomeration of things that's not specifically about something, doesn't have as much value as I'm sitting on the bed of a truck reviewing of the new thermosel. Exactly, exactly. So, and then, you know, stories, I know everybody loves stories. I love stories. I scroll through them all the time. Um, they do a lot for getting engagement from your following, like somebody DM you or something like that. That's all I look at stories anymore. But, but the problem is you got to look at it, it's only up for 24-hour period. Yeah. So that story is promote. If, you're, if your job is to promote a product, promote a brand, that story is up for 24 hours. It very easily could be missed by someone. Yeah. You know, and then on top of that, how do you, how do you consume stories? You tap to the right, tap to the right, tap to the right, tap to the right, if it's something that doesn't interest you. So the reel, on the other hand, is long-lived. Uh, it's going to get shown via the algorithm to people who aren't followers of you. You know, so that's why there's a little bit more value placed on a reel than there is on a story. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. And, and we get asked for them all the time, and, and we do them, and we're more than happy to do them. It, I guess the, my next question would be, and we talked about this a little bit on the phone. Obviously, what we want to do is long form, mm-hmm. you know, episodic films, documentaries, all that good stuff. So where do you see that having value? Where do you see that finding a home? And then how how do you see that being leveraged if you even see that being leveraged at all anymore? So, no, we still see it being leveraged. I mean, there's, I feel like it's a different audience a lot of times. Your guy that's going to go watch your 100% long-form content, he likes that kind of content. The the person that's just swiping Instagram, scrolling through Facebook, whatever, you know, he may like more of that short-form, real-type content. Uh, we saw a huge uptick in that during COVID, and I'm not a blame-everything-on-COVID-type person. COVID had a direct effect on marketing, on how social media is consumed. It, yeah. I hate to say it, but it did. Yeah. People were locked up in their house, and they got to the point where they just wanted – quick hit. They wanted content fast and they weren't and short. They weren't afraid to spend money during COVID either. Exactly. So now we're kind of on the COVID hangover spending money wise. And a lot of the companies are feeling that, um, but you know, but they're feeling that, but they're expecting the same sales numbers they had in COVID and yeah, they don't understand why they're not all getting it's them. doing is coming back to where it was prior to COVID. Yeah. You yeah. know, enjoy the high expect it, come back to where it was. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, to the long form point, you know, what I would suggest is if you really like long form and that's your, your passion in your case, you know, have that available on YouTube, on your Vimeo. Um, you know, I would say you, in your case, YouTube and Vimeo, I know you may not be as huge of a fan of YouTube, but there's more eyeballs on YouTube. Oh yeah. 100%. You know, so have it available there and use your reels as a teaser. Yeah. And as a driver to drive it to that long, long form stuff. Um, because you are probably reaching a different audience on your Instagram than you are on your YouTube account. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know from YouTube, and you'd never be able to get this number, out of all the views on hunting content, how many people viewed the content that were not subscribers of those channels? Yeah. Not you specifically. I'm sure you could pull those analytics, but like as a whole. You know, when someone's going on YouTube and viewing hunting, I know me for myself, I subscribe to like two channels. Yeah. You know, but like there's more people actively seeking out content on YouTube 
And then you just use your reels as your driver to drive people there. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's kind of, which we're, we look at social media completely different than I guess your clients and your brands. What we look at it as for Copeland Creative and Redneck Tech, Redneck Tech a little different than Copeland Creative because we're trying to put out content that helps people that um, is short form that also points back to our YouTube. So exactly what you're saying. But for Copeland Creative specifically, you know, the production house side is we look at our Instagram page specifically as a landing page for a brand to say, hey, oh, you know, we, we this video got posted for a brand that we did, like Bergara posted their video, and like we get tagged as the creators of that. Mm-hmm. Well, they're like, oh, well, Copeland Creative did that. I like that. And I go to their page, and they go to our page. What we're about to do, we haven't done it yet, is we're going to just put up all of our projects and the the, yep. the triple stack mm-hmm. that has images and the videos related with that project. Yep. So when you go to our page, it's just a resume. Yeah. And we're not going to post on it anymore. We're not going to post any reels. We're not going to post anything. We're just going to post stories until we do a new project, and then we'll do another triple stack project. Yeah. So you can just kind of see a timeline of who we're working with and what we're doing because we don't care about followers. Yeah. We don't. I mean, engagement's cool and all, but we don't gain anything from that. We want it to be someone looks at it like a resume for us. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to, because honestly, for us to keep up with the posting on social, we just don't have the time. We're, we're working on stuff for brands and that was our gripe forever with film festivals, which they still suck. My, 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 my opinion on that has not changed <laughs> is all these film festivals, all the films were terrible. And we had complained about it for years and years and years. And I was like, but we'd never done a podcast about it because I wasn't going to be the guy that complained about it until we did a film of our own. Like we thought that it should be done. And then we did that and they didn't even put it in the film festival because it didn't fit their narrative. Yeah. Oh, and then we've went full ham on There's it. There's no politics then. in this industry at all. None, <laughs> none whatsoever. That was kind of my next question though yeah. is what do you see the difference between the fishing and the hunting space? Cause you work with both, right? Yeah. Um, Do you see differences on the the social media social media influencers between fishing and hunting? What one does well than the other? Are they pretty pretty similar? There's some differences. I mean, the same point is the same. Yeah. People giving discounts in exchange for promoting a product. Yeah. Um, hunting obviously is seasonal. So um, what people need to understand about social is if you're really trying to build a following, if you are not consistent in your posting. Uh, your reach, your engagement, all that stuff's going to tank. So, like, if you take two weeks off posting anything, you're going to see the difference because the algorithm wants you to be active. Meta wants you to be active. Yeah. Um, so what we're seeing on fishing is I see a lot more of the, um, hey, look at all my sponsors, patch stuff, you know, where it's like, oh, here's this grip and grin, this big bass that I caught, and I'm going to tag all 20 of my sponsors. So I see it being worse about being, like, sponsor-specific content. And we've got the data to back this up. We can actually, when we're tracking, we're able to say, hey, if they've mentioned the sponsor within the first number of characters, then we can identify that as a valued post as compared to just a branded post. So, I mean, I can show you the differences in the numbers, and it's far worse on fishing. Um, Hunting side, though, um, a lot more people are still just running off their personal accounts on, on, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Um, And that's... Something we're really trying to push or really trying to coach is if you're sponsored by a company, you are no longer the average consumer. Yeah. 
Okay, you know, well, you are an average I have to consumer. tell myself that all the time. Yeah, but you should, so yeah, exactly. Like, you still are in your head, and you, if you didn't work in the space, yes, you wouldn't change anything. But like, that company's working with you because the average consumer looks to you for information. Yeah. So you need to have a business Instagram account, and you need to have a Facebook fan page. So what that's going to allow you to do is one, it gives you control back of your social media. So you're able to go into your personal Facebook page and look at personal stuff. You know, it's not all people that are just directly related to hunting. Any of your hunting content needs to be posted on a fan page that's, you know, uh, Clay Copeland Outdoors, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and a lot of people are scared by that. And what it is, is it's actually not that hard because if you're posting on Facebook and Instagram, if you've got them connected, you post on Instagram, you click share to Facebook, and it does it automatically. Yeah. So you're running two pages while only having to post in one spot. Yeah. You know, but... If you're just running off personal stuff, that's the same thing every consumer has. It's yeah. personal pages. So if you're really serious about it and you want to be taken See, seriously, I talked you need to, to have the I talked to Dudley. Uh, and this was I think he's actually back to a business page now. Mm-hmm. But before he was still on a personal page because he said it was growing crazy faster than a business page was. And I think that's changed. Yeah. That was probably two or three years ago. Reason being, um, Facebook bought Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, business pages are the monetized pages. I'm pretty positive you cannot get a personal page monetized. Mm-hmm. So if they're monetizing your page, that means they have something invested in it. Yeah. If they're going to pay you, you better believe they're getting paid. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to adjust algorithms where, you know, you're going to make sure those business pages are growing. So let's talk about YouTube a little bit. Okay. So what's your, what's your take on YouTube and where it sits right now and how's that, how that's being leveraged with brands and doing well, not doing well? Um, it's not being leveraged enough. Uh, I think they're coming around to it. Um, the way the YouTuber is putting stuff out, um, you know, a lot of them are going into it with the television mindset of, you know, here's my bumper front and end. We use your product somewhere in the video, maybe. And then they'll tag all our sponsors in the description. Yeah. The ones I see doing well is where in the description of it, it'll say, and they'll probably usually have a blurb in the video. Like, hey, just let you know, like, at the end of this video, like, there's all the products I use specifically are at the end of this video. Whether you like them, not like them, whatever. And they'll have a link to each specific product for their sponsor. So, yeah, they may have 20 other sponsors, but they're not talking about those in that video. So yeah. they're, they're being specific, which is very good. Um, brands are... It's, it's kind of tough because... As with television, YouTube is now becoming so popular, people don't want to get paid. So for a brand, it's difficult to say, well, hey, I'm going to send you a $400 camera. Can you do a YouTube video for me? Guys going to be like, no. I mean, if I've got a following that you're reaching out to me, I'm going to want to get paid. Yeah. So it's, what does that payment look like? Yeah. You know, um, that's why a lot of our media values and stuff that we calculate are based off of the um, uh, the um, compensation that YouTube would pay these people when they're monetized. So what's YouTube paying you? Because that's what they think it's worth. Yeah. So we calculate our media values based on that. And then brands should that's keep that in mind too. Yeah. That's, I was about to say, how did you, cal- so if you calculate it based on YouTube, then if that's what YouTube's seen it, yeah, I can see that because I mean, even with our small following, we have people reach out to us to do stuff like that too, but they, they reach out to us not because of our following, but because they know they're going to get good content. Mm-hmm. They're like, Hey, we'll send you, you know, we just had one recently. They wanted us to do something with uh, Smith and Wesson. They wanted us to do a reel for Smith and Wesson. I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, 
how long is it going to take? You know, we'll, we'll give you a price. He's like, oh, no, we just want to do it to promote y'all's page and make it. And I was like, no. Product don't pay the bills. I was like, yeah, I, I don't. I was like, you know, I'm not I'm not interested in doing that. Um, the way that we make money is creating the content for the brands, not by growing our followers. I could care less if we ever got another follower. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that he didn't like that. I, he didn't like that response very often, but very much, but it's one of those things to where I see why an individual guy would do it to grow a page, to get a following to where he could try and sell himself to whoever to try Mm -hmm. and monetize Mm -hmm. that. And which I look at it now, you know, the YouTube thing, or the, the social media thing is kind of what TV used to be in terms of a TV show. Like, cause you could have a TV show still can, if you got enough money Yeah, is you pay the airtime, you got enough money to go out and do the hunts and produce the show. You can have a TV show. And I always said that there was a couple types of hunting shows. Whereas now I guess there's a couple types of influencers. There's the influencers out there that are just looking to get some discounts that are going to work their butts off for. And those guys might even have more value then the next tier, which are guys that are trying to get free stuff. Then the next tier is the ones that are trying to get paid. Mm-hmm. And then the next tier is the ones that are going to be brand ambassadors that are making salaries that are the ones at the, in the booth at trade shows and that are doing the big hunts. See, those are my true pro staff. Yeah. Where your discount level, those to me are the brand ambassadors. Yeah. You know, uh, and what, what with this all though too is I hate to see the guys that – I'll go to them or a company will go to them and say, well, you know, we want you to do this for us. And they're like, well, no, I need to get paid. And I look at his account. I'm like, for what? Yeah. You know, you've got to know your place. You got to know, not your place, but you have to know where you are in your journey. I guess you would do say, you see, you do know? you see that entitlement come through there oh, though? Like gosh, to where guys yes. just think they should, they caught yes. three fish and they need to get paid for it. But dude, I saw that back when I worked in advertising. Yeah. Where, and it, the flip side of it, what it was back then was, well, I've got a TV show. Yeah. Oh, so God. I don't care. Dude. You know, and they come to Dude. me and say, well, I've heard, well, I've heard it all. I'm going to bring you $3 million of media value. Yeah. Um, and for anybody listening, if you don't understand, uh, media value, EMV, estimated media value, what it is, it's a dollar value amount placed on what you can bring to return. Eyeballs, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So households, like, eyeballs. Households, yeah. eyeballs, um, CPM, all the, you can t- all these different terms. Basically, it's used what is it worth? used to be what, like $15 a thousand or $15? Uh, depend- yeah, then, I like, can't it remember. It on... And that's why when guys would come and say, well, I need, you know, I'm going to bring you $3 million in media value. For Number one, I'd say, well, how much love do you give to me over your bow sponsor, over your archery sponsor, over your arrow sponsor, over your broadhead sponsor, whatever it may be. Um, and they wouldn't be able to really tell me that. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. Which is kind of what started getting me along the idea of starting the company I did. But then also, they wouldn't be able to tell me how they calculated the media value. And I'm like... How and they said, well, it's kind of our proprietary numbers. I was like, oh, you mean your fluff numbers? Exactly. Oh, well, dude, that's what I was about to say. How much since you were on the ad agency side, when you would look at Rentrack and, and Nielsen ratings, how much did you actually believe that crap? I threw it out. Oh, dude, thank, I threw every bit of it out. thank you for saying that. I did. That. I'm not sure that others did. Dude, I that it was such crap. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, we would get these numbers for the shows. We were doing seven TV shows when I left sub seven. We got numbers that said three of the seven we were doing were the number one show. How is that possible? Yeah. How can three shows be in the number one show? They can't. They can't. No. And then on top of that, the household count. So how do you guarantee me out of 10,000 households? We'll just throw a number out there. It's Mm -hmm. way more than that. How can you guarantee me that that Bob had his butt in his recliner watching it? Yeah. You can't? No. You know, so that's a kind of a bogus number, too. Yeah. Um, so that's why when we started doing it with these these accounts where these guys could track themselves specific sponsors, 
I tell them, you know, hey, look, run the report on this sponsor. Um, take it to another potential sponsor and say, look, here's what I did specifically for this sponsor. Um, is my dollar value amount lower than what you would normally be pitched? Yes, but it's real. So would you rather be pitch you a real number that I can be transparent and tell you how I calculated it and why I calculated it that way? Or would you rather me throw out some bogus number that you know I'm just trying to hear, you know, blowing smoke over your eyes and trying to sell you on something? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of been a change because it's been done for so long where people just want to see the biggest number they can, and it's like, but it's not real. No. And 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 the wool has been pulled over people's eyes so often. And, and dude, I really think that some of these other platforms are doing it too, the carbons and the waypoints. And Do you think, though, that this also could be a reason as to why, as you mentioned earlier, that your um, product category expert value has been deteriorated because companies are starting to realize? I don't think you can believe anything anymore. Mm-hmm. The only thing, and I don't, I'm sure there's a way to manipulate this, though. The only thing you can really believe is YouTube views because, which I'm sure there's a way to manipulate that too, but I always told people, which we said this, I said this on the phone, I would rather have 100,000 views on a YouTube video than 10 million households with a TV show. 110%. Because if I'm a brand coming to, you know, looking at what you're doing, I know those 100,000 people on YouTube, yeah, some of them may have been served up by the YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah, but a lot of those are going to be people specifically seeking out a specific type of content. Maybe not you. Yeah, but there's going in. They're saying DIY Elkhart, Montana. Yeah, and your video showed up. Yeah, so they've specifically looked for your content, so you know they're engaged. Yeah, you know, and you know it's not a bogus like, hey, you know, my girlfriend saw this on her page, so she counts as a view. Yeah, and she's not the potential consu- consumer. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very targeted. It's very curated. It's um, narrowed the demographic. It's you know you can target your ads. You can do all those things. Like I when I was watching uh doing some market research on some stuff we were doing. I was watching Seek One or Hunting Public or whatever, and which neither one of them are sponsored by Sitka, but Sitka ads were in every one of them. Yep, every one of them Sitka had the opening ad on YouTube, and I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I see how that's your target market, even though Seek One's not wearing it. They're wearing Realtree. And Hunting Public, I think, is, I don't even know if they're sponsored by Camo anymore. It used to be Mossy Oak uh, or yeah, something. I don't know. But it's like one of those things to where, like, I see the whys. And I look at, like, um, like the views. You know, they're getting 30 to 50 to 1.2 million views. And they have, let's say it was like 300,000 subscribers. Yeah. That's a bunch. That's a bunch. That's, and there's, there's, a bunch of people that watch that and 1.2 million views. I don't know what that equates to in dollars on YouTube. It's probably not a ton. It's not a ton, but it's a do enough of those a year. You're going to be making a pretty good living. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those deals to where how, how do you do that in a way and how do you take that, sell that and make it unique? And to me, that's the only way it's believable. Mm. And, and you know maybe real numbers are believable and uh you know and youtube views but these social are these like the carbons and the waypoints and the tv shows i can't how, how can i believe that number because i'm having to go through the wizard of oz yep. to get that number mm-hmm. 
and he's giving me, you know, you've got this many views. It's like, okay, well, how, how? Well, he has to put out good numbers too yeah. because yeah. that television show is paying him for the airtime. Mm-hmm. So if I'm paying that guy for my airtime and I'm the TV show and he's putting out numbers that I think are low, I'm not going to pay him for that airtime. Yeah. Well, so, and it keeps me to where if, you know, you're telling me, hey, man, you had 15 million households, which equated to X amount of minutes watched, this, that, and the other. Well, now that's a big number. Now you can take that and sell your show. And it's incentivized for Outdoor Channel Sportsman Channel to say every year that you got more than you did the last year and yep. more than you did. And there's no way those numbers are going up. They have to be going down. And I'm not trying to dog on any of the outdoor platforms. I am. <laughs> I'm not well, even ashamed to say I just, it. I think a level of transparency would be nice. Oh, yeah. Well. And there's never been that. It's mm-hmm. all been... Well, we have our own special algorithm or, you know, proprietary, blah, 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 whatever. Special. Special. It, it shouldn't be proprietary. It shouldn't be special. What we do, when my client goes in to generate their media value, I give them baseline numbers. Mm-hmm. Hey, we did some research. Every company is different. But, you know, based on our research, this is where we feel like the baseline should be. And we give them the ability to edit those numbers. So if they feel like YouTube view, if I've got it at 10 cents a view, and they're like, nah, I'd only pay for 5 cents a view. They can change the number. Mm-hmm. You know, it's totally, and the same thing for our our premium members, like they can do the same thing. Yeah. So if they've got a, a sponsor that comes back to them after looking at their media value and they're like, eh, find that to be a little bit high, a little bit inflated, they can talk to them and say, well, hey, where would you like this to sit so that I can provide you an accurate representation of what I've done? And they can adjust the data. Well, essentially what you're doing is you're trying to create an even playing field. Yes. And you're trying to take this mountain of data and analytics, put it in a, in a, palatable platform to give a tool to not only the ambassadors and influencers, but the brands to say, Hey, we've got 500 influencers yeah, and only 77 of them are doing anything for us. I see a lot of that. So we're yes. about to can 400 people. And we've never had someone lose sponsorship over the data we provide. Mm-hmm. I've had people lose sponsorship over not doing anything. Yeah. Well, and I can't do anything about that. Yeah. That's not your fault. You know, but like, we're just the messenger. Yeah. I'm trying to take data that's already public. That's very hard to accumulate. Yeah. To, to curate, to get curate all, it to all get together. One, one place. Yeah. And I'm just saying, Hey, here's an easy spot, an easy way to get it all in one spot. You take it and do with it what you want to from there. Yeah. And if the guy's doing his job, 95% of our members have zero issue with what we do because they do a good job. Mm-hmm. The ones that have a problem with it and refuse to set up an account, Typically, I'll go and look at their social and everything. I'm like, well, no wonder. They're not doing anything for their sponsors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just we try to make it as black and white as we can. Yeah. Well, that's all you can do. And and you kind of got to – if you want to be your own boss, you kind of got to be your own boss. You know, if Mm -hmm. you tell people – tell people you're going to do something, you kind of need to – deliver it. Kind of need to do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you get fired. That's how the real world works. And it's a small industry. So, you get canned enough times, you know as well as I do. I, mean, I don't know, man. Word goes, it gets around. It does, it does. But I've got one former client that is a royal douche nugget, and some people What's still pay. That, no, uh, yeah, some people it. pay that guy still, and I just don't, I don't get it. I don't mm. know how he still. I think I know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I know who it is. Yeah, I'll tell I you know, off yeah, the yeah, podcast for yeah. sure. Um, there's but, always going to be that one. Well, there's more than there's well, more than one. one, but this one specifically. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's one of those things to where. I, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit, which we talked about a lot of this at lunch, but I think what Seek One's done, what Hunting Public's done is relatable, it's different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another big thing that a lot of guys and girls are out there 
think they can't do something different or they're just they don't understand why they're not moving the needle is because they're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. Yeah. You know, and for them, for you to sit there and say, well, it's all been done. This is all I can do. That's not the case. There's always a new way to skin that cat Mm -hmm. and seek one's done it. Hunting public's done it. I've got a list of ideas on my uh, computer of things I've wanted to do that are different. You gave me a really good idea at lunch that I think would be a really good one that I'd love to figure out a way to work with you to do. I'm just it's I'm one giving the, it to you. <laughs> it's one of those things to where there's ways to do this. Mm-hmm. There's ways to move the needle. There's ways to tell stories. There's ways to bring value. And that's what it comes down to. You have to bring value. Yep. One way or the other. Is it views? Is it followers? Is it being an ambassador? Is it being the guy that answers questions? Is it being honest with people? Is it answering your phone? Is it a combination of all of those things? You know, and for if, if you're the guy or girl sitting out there that's like, well, I catch big fish, and that that should translate into dollars. It's not. It's not what it's about. No. If it was only about catching big fish going into dollars, then there's some farm ponds in Texas I can go catch big fish oh, and catch yeah. bigger fish than you. Well, it ain't got nothing to do with catching big fish or killing big deer anymore. That's that's not hard to do if you got enough money and time. Yeah, and on the fishing side, you you know, over the shoulder fishing. Bill Dance days, Sulphur Pond, you know, um, Roland Martin. Um, uh, I'm going to probably draw a blank on some of the other old school guys. You know, that 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 over-the-shoulder fishing show, it's been done. It's done. It's over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not – it's relatable for some of the old school guys, you know, but any of the younger guys coming up, they know the names, but it's not as relatable. You know, that's why you see your, your um, like, Land Shark Outdoors on YouTube, like some of these other guys doing well, and then – a lot of times the, the tour-level pros are like, well, you know, I don't, I, I don't have time to do that. Well, take a look at a Brandon Palinup, for example. You know, he's doing elk hunts, he's doing fishing, but he's also, like, filming his behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm. And he's posting it on Instagram, he's posting it on YouTube and all that. And it's not about the tournament itself, and it's not an over-the-shoulder fishing show. You know, it's behind the scenes, and people like to see that stuff. So, you know, that's changing the – he almost has his own fishing show, but – not it's all like yeah. social media and you know youtube yeah. based yeah yeah um you know so some guys that do well and i'm i mean everybody knows the name meat eater mm-hmm. with the cooking stuff with the the different you know areas they're involved with dude they do a great job on what they're putting out there on youtube i don't want to don't want to sidebar you but okay. for any of you guys listening it's it's a podcast within the podcast bear grease is the podcast yes. that meat eater does mm-hmm. but there's one inside that called this country life yeah, I've heard that. I haven't, I haven't listened to it. It's incredible. Yeah. I, it is my absolute new obsession. And those guys are real, like we talked Dude, about. Dude, this like, guy is, I want to sit down with this man so badly because every story he tells and the way he tells it is every story I've heard my whole life growing mm-hmm. up around here. Is and it, it Clay? No, it's is his it name's Brent Reeves. That's right. I've heard him on there, yeah. Dude. I got, I've told, I can't tell you how many people I've told about that podcast since mm-hmm. they're listening. My brother's the one that turned me on to it. And I'm telling you what, man, it is, it is what I wish the world still was. Yeah. You know, 50 years ago, this guy, you know, you have to listen to it. I, I won't do it justice. But the way he tells stories, you know, he grew up in Southeast Arkansas, just talking about growing up and fishing and hunting and manners and saying hello and being a good neighbor and watermelons and snakes and just, yep. All the stuff that I've heard my dad and my granddad tell stories and my uncles all my life. And, uh, you know, it's just this, this day's gone by. Oh my gosh, man. I wish that guy did a podcast today. I'd listen (laughs) to that guy talk 
Well, every single day, it's so good. And to your point about the long format stuff, look what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They've got the podcast, which drives traffic to all their platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, each guy individually is doing stuff on Instagram. Uh, meat eaters doing stuff on Instagram, teaser things, all drives back to YouTube. And then at the same time, they've got the Netflix things and all those things going on with their long format stuff. And they also have the long format on YouTube. So you don't have to choose a side. Yeah. But you do need to utilize them all. Mm-hmm. You know, that would yeah, be... Yeah, they all work together. They they're all, all work they're, together. They're all their own thing, but mm-hmm. they all point back to one thing. And even being, even just utilizing one of them, you can be successful. Yeah. But you're going to be more successful if you're utilizing them all collectively. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it costs a lot of money to but do it. That's why there's not as many people doing it. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned about the kid earlier, he's willing to put in the work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are the people who are willing to put in the work. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And meat eater, I have a ton of respect for those guys. I'm, I mean, the show is, is the show is great. Mm-hmm. The show would only be okay if it didn't have Steve Rinella, in my opinion. Steve Rinella is what makes that show what it is. Well, yeah, but look what they did with the boat series where they did Das, das Boat. boat yeah. like, super cool. Longer format, like mm-hmm. you like, mm-hmm. but, you know, really cool series outside you know, Paul, the box. Paul Borg helped film some of that. Did he? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> they, should, they should look for a new film crew. <laughs> Just kidding. I love Paul. <laughs> Paul, if you're watching, sorry, buddy. Yeah. Um, Paul's the man. Yeah, no, he's he's incredible. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, like, but what they're doing with the... When I look at meat eater stuff, I go on there to look at like the game processing, mm-hmm. um, you know, process all my own stuff. So the recipes, you know, um, wife likes the recipes. So like I'm looking for for that short form content, mm-hmm. you know. But if they have something for everybody, yeah, you know. So yeah, no, that's that's uh, they do a great job, man. And and and, and they have tentacles yep. everywhere. They yep. they got the southeast covered. They've got the Michigan Midwest covered. They've got out west covered. They could cover a little bit more whitetail in the southeast. Nobody George, covers. Georgia's got to be the biggest sleeper state for big whitetail. Well, in downtown Atlanta, it is. Shh. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that I think that secret's out. But you know, I think that uh, we do have some. Yeah. If you can successfully kill anything in Georgia, a, a good deer, bear, turkey, whatever, you can kill anything anywhere. Yeah. I've hunted. Every state in this nation except the couple of northeast states, like north of Virginia, mm-hmm. there's nothing harder than here. Well, and anybody listening who says that, because I'm a suburbs guy, I've got three places of land. They're all between two and nine acres in between neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Anybody that tells me that that's just shooting fish in a barrel, no, you we, we'll argue all day long. Yeah. It no. is not easy. It's different. I've done very little of it. It ain't easy. It's not easy. It's very different. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with a deer that can pattern you more than yeah. you pattern him, because he's watching you walk in from 75 yards away when you can't well, see him. Well, it's the second like, most. It's the second most prolific land animal in North America behind mm-hmm. the coyote. You know, and the only thing that's the difference between a coyote and a and a whitetail is a whitetail won't probably wouldn't cross causeways and bridges in the middle of the night to to gain territory and distance, whereas a coyote will. Yeah, that's really the only distance. I mean, they live virtually everywhere. There's a there's known coyotes in every city. I would say there's known whitetails in every pretty much every city around. Yeah. And uh, killing a big deer in the southeast is not easy to do. Well, in yeah, like in the suburban factors, like I could have the deer patterned. Like I know he's you know typically my deer will is like they'll be on a pattern where it's like hey he'll show up for a few days once every couple of weeks. Well, I could be like, all right, he's going to be in there tomorrow. Well, somebody may fire up a leaf blower, have a new roof being could have put on their house that stopped him. You know what I mean? 
So um, that could change things up. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But, yeah, yeah I mean, like I said, whenever people think big deer in North America, typically Georgia's not what comes to mind. But no. We've got some big ones. Oh, yeah. No, there's <laughs> some big ones. I mean, Jeff Fox Release Farm, which it's 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 here in Georgia, and it's one of the best places. It's as close to Midwest whitetail hunting as you can get. Oh, yeah. But it's also a huge farm that is meticulously managed with a budget way more than most people have. Yeah. But the biggest deer in Georgia – have come out of the metro area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because they don't get messed with. And that's how deer grows big. Less low pressure, lots of food cover and you know, no stress. Yeah. And they don't get stressed until you get in there to hunt them and oh, and they, they get it. real big. Yeah. I have more problem with old does where I hunt than anything else. Oh, dude, there's nothing harder to kill an old nanny doe, man. <sighs> yes. That's what ruined my brother's hunt the other morning. He's hunting a spot in I think it's Hart County. He said he had a pretty good buck coming. He said he didn't get in the stand till eight thirty. Said he had a buck coming. It was a group He's like he had never really killed a decent deer with his bow, a buck with his bow. So he's like, I was gonna shoot him. He's like, I got two, and uh, he's like, and he said every one of those deer walked by where I walked in and never picked their head up until that doe in the back did. And he yep. said she blew the whole world out. Yep. I'm like, and she I've needs shot. <laughs> they'll be walking away from me, and she'll just stop. Yeah. She won't throw her nose up. She'll start blowing. Yeah. Not look at me. Hate her. Not, and she did it to me the other day. Walked in right behind me. Never crossed my path. Nothing. All of a sudden, just stop. Started looking around, started stomping. Her yeah. two fawns with her, started stomping. I'm like, yeah. oh, great, she's teaching them. Perfect. Yeah, I tell people that d- deer in Georgia were born looking up. Yes. Looking up in trees. Yes. Man, God, I hate them so much. <laughs> There's nothing that'll make you matter in a freaking blow, doe blowing. Oh, that's, that's another thing I wanted to do forever is do an R-rated hunting show that you just like, yep, she's going. What was it? Was it? Is it Kip Campbell or who was it from Red? Is it Red? Red Arrow. Red Arrow, yeah. He did that. Have you ever seen his YouTube video? It's a, it's a snip clip out of his, what he's talking about, a blowing doe. Yeah. He's like, nope. He goes, I will execute on site. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we do not play that. I was here trying to shoot a big buck. Now you ruined it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so they will. They'll up. ruin it quicker than anything. Yeah. Well, what have we not covered? What have uh, mm. we missed? I mean, we've been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we could go a lot longer. Oh, yeah, we um, could. No, man, I think it's... Um. Yeah, we got through me shooting a feeder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you brought that one out of the gate, huh? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, welcome to the podcast, buddy. What else did we? I feel like there's something else we were talking. Oh, about. I'm sure there I is. I don't even remember. I, can't remember. I had a had a couple notes. I actually haven't yeah. even looked at them because we just questions kinda, people have on there too. I uh, haven't haven't. Let me see. Let me see if anybody's asking. If nobody's got questions. questions. We might be doing a good job here. I don't know. Yeah, let me see. Or uh, stop listening. So, f- for a guy wanting a sponsorship, a large YouTube following is most important. Is what this guy's asking. It depends on level of sponsorship. Um, start with a discount, you know. Yeah. Um, discounts proven you're worth, proven that you're, you know, hungry. Um, then you can develop those relationships, move into your free product. You're, you know, uh, if you're able to get a few people on a discount, then, like, it's kind of like getting the out- outdoor industry. Like, it's hard to get in, but once you're in, you're in. Yeah. So get you a couple sponsors under your belt. Um, the first couple are going to be the hardest ones yeah. because you don't have anything. Well, build a relationship. Build a relationship. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then work your way from there. Don't come right out of the gate saying, well, I'm so-and-so and I've got so-and-so outdoor TV on YouTube and you should pay me mm-hmm. or you should give me free product. It's like I can go create a YouTube channel right now saying it's Graham Johnson Outdoor TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to build the following yeah. first. So, Do you have another question was what value do – what value do YouTube Shorts have? Uh, 
they're getting a lot more value. They're becoming more and more popular. Yeah, I know that's that's what my dad watches a lot of. Yeah, he watches uh, YouTube short. He doesn't have Instagram. He doesn't have Facebook. He doesn't have TikTok. So yeah. he gets down the YouTube uh, shorts rabbit hole. Isn't there? I think, and I'm, I should know this obviously, but isn't there a way where you can cross post from Instagram to YouTube Shorts for Reels to YouTube Shorts? I don't know that. If not, there's probably a third party platform that'll let you do it. I'm like sure an there app is or something. Um, I would say utilize them. They're growing. YouTube is growing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. YouTube ain't going anywhere for a while. So if they got something new, I would be keeping an eye on it and starting to utilize it and see how it works Well, for here's you. the next question, which this might be outside the scope or not something you know a whole lot about because it's something I don't know a whole lot about. I know it's been brought up from a couple people, but, you know, YouTube's owned by Google. Google's mm-hmm. a very, very liberal, left-leaning organization that frowns upon everything that we hold dear. Yeah. What are the options if they start to demonetize anything that's got to do with hunting or fishing or shooting animals? Oh, they tried that. Um, they tried that with Seek One. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not gone over very well for them every time. Um, so I don't see it ever being something where they're going to completely pull it down. You know, like say, all right, no more hunting stuff on YouTube. You know, um, other options. <sighs> Unfortunately, YouTube's a monster. <laughs> you ain't kidding. It's a monster. I mean, I'm I'm not going to tell you to go to um, what's the one that Trump's got his social platform? Truth, Truth, or one of the other ones. One starts with an R. I forget what it is. I don't even know. I don't even know. There's two um, flipping many of them already. Yeah, exactly. Um, stick with your three big platforms: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Did, you know, so that was Vimeo another, is good, but like we said, Vimeo yeah. doesn't have the eyeballs. Well, we just use Vimeo as a, as a platform to deliver to clients. Yeah, and, it's a good and they've got platform. a great back end for us as creators. Yeah, but yeah. That was another question I was going to ask you is, um, I just lost it. You were just saying, oh, my mother's calling me. <laughs> um, Dang it. I turned mine on airplane. What though. was the, oh, I just, no, it wasn't TikTok. Oh, platform. so Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook's still a big player mm-hmm. because this is my view of Facebook. It's everybody over the age of 50 watches Facebook and looks at Facebook. It's not for the younger crowd, 45 plus, you know, but you're still seeing Facebook move the needle and be influential over Instagram. Because to me, virtually anything I look at is going to be TikTok and Instagram. I I look, I use Facebook and utilize Facebook for nothing other than posting family pictures for my personal stuff because I don't use, I don't have a personal social media on Instagram for me, just Mm -hmm. a company one. And then we have the Redneck Tech and I use those for just business purposes only. Facebook is just where like, I, you, I really have Facebook for marketplace. I really have it for no other nope. reason. So, like, where do you see that falling? There's still in line? value there. Yeah, it's not. It's not completely gone. Um, is it just because of Meta though? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, my personal opinion is that when Facebook bought Instagram, they did it because they were getting their butts kicked by Instagram. Well, yeah. So, how do you breathe new life into Facebook? Is you buy Instagram and then you start doing the cross-platform stuff. Yeah. So a lot of the reels you see on Facebook are actually Instagram reels. So everything's interconnected. Mm-hmm. So it has va- it definitely has value. People are using it. Yes, it is a lot of time it's the older crowd, but there are some some yeah. other people that, that use it. Well, um, I had a friend of mine tell me that he's posting all his stuff on Facebook Watch and getting tons and tons of views on there. Things are getting a lot more views on Facebook as well now. So or Is it called Facebook Watch? It's called Facebook um, something. It's... Uh, what is it you had to ask me? Um, it's Facebook I something. I can't remember the exact name. Yeah, but it's it's similar with all, you know, so they're, they've they taken what Instagram's done well with Reels and all that kind of stuff and then 
it's it's tied in so tightly with Instagram now. Yeah. If you're going to be able to get more eyeballs, even though it may not be as many eyeballs as Instagram, why not use it? But to me, you know still I mean? nobody's touching TikTok. TikTok's crushing folks. TikTok's crushing it. We're we're working on the tracking on TikTok. Um, it being Chinese owned, and there's a lot of political drama tied in with it. Yeah. That you know, I mean, we don't we don't know. They they, they could come out and shut down TikTok tomorrow. Yeah. In in the U.S. Well, there's, they've already they've already uh, banned it in a couple places. Haven't India they? can't even access TikTok. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, there are. There, we don't know what the future of TikTok is. Yeah, lots of views, tons, the, uh, tons of, views. of views. But what's the value of the views? But yeah, it's basically taking what Instagram Reels is and putting it into a Reels only platform. But to me, I, to me, I feel like it's the algorithms better on uh, TikTok because it serves. To me, it serves. Like people say, you know, you go down TikTok avenues. Like you'll go down. Like I was in the home improvement, do it yourself avenue for a while. Now I'm in the the comedians, um, funny videos aisle, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. when you first get on TikTok, usually it's straight T and A, yeah, and that's why people scroll and scroll and scroll until they spend a little too much time on that one video that's about it starts to figure out yeah, what you're looking you for, starts to figure you out want. what you're looking for because yeah. everybody likes T and A, and then they figure out what the you know which one did you stay on longer? It's like well you stayed on one about old cars, yeah. Well I'm gonna feed you one about old cars. To me, they figured out the algorithm better than everybody else, and I don't know how they. Some, there's some witchcraftery That's why I in there. Say there's some concerns about TikTok. <laughs> some so, some concerns. Some concerns about TikTok. Yeah. Uh, I want to add it to our tracking. We're we're pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're working on it, but we do everything carefully. Yeah. So you know, um, AI, for example, we that got brought up about like, hey, are you guys going to have any AI capabilities of the platform? We looked into it. A lot of our clients are like, hey, we want no part of that. Yeah. You know, it's our corporate. Um, what are the, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Not to not to go off track, but what are the clients asking you for? Like, what do they want that isn't here yet? Um, you know, at first we thought it would be like logo recognition technology. But then it was like, eh, well, you know, that's not really adding much value. What about product integration? Product integration would be, would be nice mm-hmm. if we would be able to do it off of YouTube. I'm not saying the technology's out there. We probably can't afford the technology right now. Vimeo has it. You know, yeah. And I think YouTube will end up following suit with that yeah. in their own fashion. Yeah. You know. But um, I think it's a lot of work on the back end. I don't think there's an AI tool that goes in and says, hey, that's a Matthews bow being yeah, used. Yeah. I think you have to go in physically to your video and, you know, pause it, click on it, say that's a Matthews, you know, phase four, or that's a – a Sitka Equinox jacket. See, that's a this. Really that's a that. Cool, would be really cool if YouTube would do this. A YouTuber, if you're listening, um, <laughs> is if in your YouTube account you could basically have a bunch of links to all your sponsors, and then when you're uploading your video, you just go through and click, click that sponsor, click, click that sponsor, and then click, you, click that and essentially you have a drop down that's like this is this sponsor. No, this no, is this as sp- people are watching, when it gets to that point, sponsor link comes up in the corner. Yeah, you know, I mean that'd be great. But well, you know, I think that's because because we talked about this 10, 15 years ago when we were talking about TV and like where we always as creators, we want it to go to product integration. We don't want to have whore outs. Mm -hmm. We want it to be, you know, we want to get rid of those logos and those intros and all that. We want it to be about the story and about using products and being in the field. Mm -hmm. And we always said, you know, think about what that would look like, not only for hunting and fishing, what would that look like for women's fashion where they're watching, keeping up with Kardashians and they're like, Oh my God, I love her shoes. They pause it, click on, Kim Kardashian shoes, 
here's where you can buy them, and here's the list of all the best prices. Yeah. There see, is a giant need for that, don't you think? I see there's a value in it. Um, the problem you're going to run into is if you look at your YouTube videos where you, you've got a hunt, right? What are most people doing? They're clicking their fast-forward to the kill shot. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, no offense, they don't want to listen to the story. They're going to go right to the kill shot and oh, move on to the next video. No offense it's to me. It's just the way it is. Oh, it drives me insane. You know, so if you're doing it that way, you're missing a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's important that, that if, even if you're posting your, your videos or your hunts and all that, and that's all great, then post a product review. Post an unboxing. Like, hey, guys, today we're going to talk about this new arrow. You know, and then I'm going to go shoot it. Oh, and here it is being used on a hunt. Yeah. You know, people want to see it in the real world action, but make that video specific to that product. What do you think, though? Like, so I think I think the whole platform or the whole delivery system has to change. If you could create that AI or that platform to where you could click on product integration, that would probably either get rid of or limit majorly having to watch ads. Yeah, they're always going to have ads. I know they're always going to yeah. have ads. Yeah. But essentially, if you could choose as a creator, would you rather have clickable links in the video or ads? But the problem is YouTube then is going to run into a conflict of interest. How's that? Well, because if they're having these people plug it up, you know, product stuff throughout the video, but then they're showing a conflicting brand as the ad, and YouTube's responsible for posting that ad. Mm -hmm. And I'd say I'm Matthews. I run ads on YouTube. You know, I've well, got they one do that my, now. I know, but I've got yeah. one of the sponsors. And then so, not that YouTube would probably care. Yeah, no, YouTube doesn't care. You also have to ask your point, at what point is it too much? Oh, I agree. Well, you here's know. the here's what I'm saying in terms of the YouTube thing. I mean, heck, YouTube could have a, its own shop to where you could buy it all through YouTube, and then they're making money as a distributor too. Yeah. You know, there's there's lots of ways of doing it mm -hmm. to where it's not a conflict of interest. And and the, the company gets paid, YouTube gets paid, you get the ad revenue, and you get the views. Yeah. It's technically helpful. You know, we're just kind of spreading the wealth between everybody. I think you're going to see a lot more um, changes with YouTube when it comes to this kind of stuff because YouTube's still just serving up ads. Yeah. You know, that's the way it's been done forever. You know, I, I don't think, like, you see a lot of companies with QR codes in their TV ads now. Mm -hmm. That's Come on. I, yeah. I don't buy that. Uh, that That's going to work. Why am I going to pause my football game to scan a QR code? Yeah. Ain't going to happen. Yeah. You know, so I think the best thing for people, for, for listeners, anybody who's doing this stuff, content, influencer, marketing, whatever it may be, is be real. You know, don't be too flashy with the, oh, man, I this broadhead, I you know, I never lose a deer with it, whatever. Be real. You know, do a product review video. Um, don't tag all your sponsors and everything. You know, authenticity is probably the most valuable thing that any one of these people can bring to the table. And very few have it anymore. Yes. Very yes. few. That, yeah. You know, I, but, I, you know, I think that social media has created that because I think to be authentic is to have to fail occasionally. And people mm -hmm. don't want you to know they're failing. Because, I mean, Instagram and Facebook is a highlight reel of people's lives. It's only the good stuff. You don't get to see the bad stuff. Nope. And if you do, it's usually fake. It's some girl crying after she got broke up with. Who turns on their phone and cries to their phone to post it on social media? Nobody with the sane mind does. No. So the only thing you're seeing is the highlight reel of someone's life. Mm -hmm. You know, we only post stories when we're in cool places with cool people. Yeah. We don't post them when we're sitting back here editing a reel for the 37th day in a row. <laughs> you know, which we could. That's not cool. But that's not what that's not what people want to see. They want to yeah. see the grand and glorious things, you know? And I and I you I don't think a lot of people take that into account. And, I, and it and like it's hard for you know, young guys that are wanting to go hunting and fishing and trying to compare themselves like 
I about went crazy this year because I didn't get to go on an elk hunt watching all everybody post pictures of dead elk. Yeah. Like really, really giving me major FOMO about not getting to be out west. And then the now I look at it as, you know, I gotta raise little girls in this world mm-hmm. that are gonna see all this other crap that these girls are posting. They're gonna compare themselves to now there's AI models that are I had to show that to my wife. She didn't know what that was. And I'm like, she's like, how do you know that's AI? I'm like, because that woman is perfect. There's not a single flaw on that human being. And she's like, well, how can you tell? And I'm like, well, just look. And I'll zoom in. I'm like, look, this is a this is an AI-generated image. Yeah. And that's what my daughter is going to have to compare herself to. Yeah. And she's going to, even though she shouldn't. Yeah. She's going to. And, you know, it, and that's going to change the game. You know, what, this TNA you know, with these real girls, I mean, they're going to have some value, but hey, if I can get this AI-generated model to promote my camouflage or my bows or my whatever it is, yeah, they're a heck of a lot cheaper than Susie Q is, you know? I'm not letting my kids have social media until they're like <sighs> 18. Dude, I'm, <sighs> yeah. I work in my, it. Like, my, 10-year-old, my 10-year-old is wanting the phone real bad right now, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. No. I, I just can't. I just can't bring myself in good conscience, and we fight about it. Not fight about it, but she's she she doesn't understand why. And I'm like, baby, listen, you don't understand a lot. I was like, I didn't understand a lot of things, and I was in my twenties while yeah. my parents did some of the things they did. Trust me, it's for your own good here. Yeah. Well, she doesn't I, get that. I know a guy that knows somebody that works somebody at Meta. Maybe like, all right, look, how do I lock everything down so all he can see is. Like these two people, yeah, on yeah. social, and nobody he, can find them. All he can see is people holding fish <laughs> exactly. and big deer. That's I'm all I want to see. How do I circumvent the algorithm? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, yeah. um, dude, cool. hour and forty one minutes of good is that stuff. The longest one ever. <sighs> probably um, not. Probably pretty close. We could probably keep going. Oh, we could. <laughs> well, what we'll have to do is we'll just have to do a part two. You know, go I'm back and listen it, to it and figure out what we didn't talk about that we need yeah, to talk about to what people want to hear. The good thing is you're just right down the road. So yeah. it's not that like a, it's a big deal. Come back up here to the office and uh, hopefully we'll get one of the ideas Bring or Paul out here with us. Make Paul come out. Yeah. I need to do a podcast with Paul. Paul actually would Paul be a really be a great person to be a podcast. And he's not too far away. Bring Paul yeah. up here and we can ask him some of those good questions, but they yeah, may no, not, that's like the answer, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, dude, I, uh, appreciate it. No, thank you. And we're going to sign off here. All right. Hi, guys. Peace. See y'all.